So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, say, I'm Nate Larkin here with my friend and yours, David Hampton. Uh, we're coming off our birthday weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woo. <laughs> David and I, I'm born in the same year, but not all that far apart. No. Uh, but on the same day. And yeah, so we, we did you have, I had a great birthday. How was yours? Mine was good. It was, you know, it's kind of low key, which was fine. But I did, uh, I, I lived it up, Nate. And for the first time in, um, I guess, eight months, uh, I had mm-hmm. a dessert. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people go out and tie one on for their birthday. I went yeah. to Cheesecake Factory and had a, a, a big ass piece of uh, coconut cream cheesecake for my uh, celebration, and I got to tell you, um, I I don't know whether I did myself any favors. It kind of resurrected <laughs> <laughs> resurrected an old buzz, but uh, it was wonderful. It was good, and I had you know spent some time with some friends, and uh, I'll oh, get with nice. yeah get with my family later on uh, this month. And, uh, so, but it was great. What'd you guys end up doing? Oh, you know what? You just reminded me of something I've been trying to forget. Oh, oh no. We have a, we have a wonderful lady who comes a couple times a month to clean the house. And uh-huh. she mentioned to Allie last time she was here that she also bakes pies. <laughs> so, uh, Allie ordered one and it was delivered yesterday. Oh my and gosh. Chocolate meringue pie walked in the front door. Uh huh. As, as I fortunately was walking out, I was on my way to an appointment. Okay. Uh, and and I, I put it out of mind. I have not been thinking about the chocolate cream pie, uh, meringue pie. <laughs> I would have. I can't think of anything but the chocolate meringue pie. Uh-huh. It's not going to survive until dinner time. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It it's like having a body buried under the house. You can't you can't not think about it. You once you know it's there, it you can't not think about it. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, oh, we had a great time. Uh, uh, one of my heroes. I, I, I love telling stories. I love listening to great storytellers. And my my book, one of the greatest of all times, is a guy named Garrison Keillor. Oh years yeah, on public radio did uh, Prairie Home Companion. Yeah. And uh, he uh, he actually uh, he he is on tour now. He's eighty one years old. Really? And he, and he was playing on our birthday at the caves, the caverns. It's uh, it's an actual cave in East Tennessee. Oh. Uh, and uh, it was two hours, and it was 
fabulous. Just oh, absolutely man. fabulous. Yeah. I, if I can be half as sharp as Garrison Keillor when I'm 81, assuming I live to see that, uh, I will be happy. Because even though he, he's, he had a big-ass walking stick in order to keep him keep himself steady, mm-hmm. and I, it looks as though his vision is going a little bit. Mm-hmm. His brain is as sharp as a tack. He still writes every day. He did two oh. hours of new material. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Well, he's such a, a storyteller and a, um, I love his, his characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, golly, you know. <laughs> so, so he did close. He, he, he treated us to about a 30-minute brand-new episode of Lake Wobegon Days, right? So okay. About, he says he goes back to Lake Wobegon now mostly for funerals. Uh-huh, okay. And, uh, okay, and so he'd been asked to go do uh, a eulogy for somebody he really didn't like. So, uh, <laughs> so, you know, he had the whole backstory of that. Yeah. But but and he's talking about all the different ways that the town has changed. So it's hilarious, you know. The, all the, and at one point, he turns to uh, the mayor and says, uh, and says to him, but I invented this town. <laughs> and... <laughs> And the mayor said, these people don't even remember you anymore. So, I mean, it's really kind of good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. It was yeah. wonderful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and a, that, you know, yeah. What a, what a great thing to get to go experience. Because, you know, people like him, um, you know, they're going to be a, they are, you know, a treasure uh, of, mm-hmm. of uh, storytelling and history and culture. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think I, I made reference to this in the Pirate Monk podcast, but I know we don't have a lot of overlap on our audiences. So he did. He opened with a prayer, which I thought was wonderful, that, that he sang as he was walking down the center aisle uh, of this cave toward the, toward the, pla- uh, the stage at the front. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so he did kind of an invocation. I'm not going to try to sing it, and mm-hmm. I'm only paraphrasing the poem. But but it went something like this, uh, and he's you know, he's praying. And he says, "My only request is that you exist, for I will be really pissed if after all of this I should have been an atheist." <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> that's about as honest as it gets. That's that's yeah, right cool. there. That that cuts right to the chase. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you really though? I mean, yeah. Come to think of it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like seriously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, we have got uh, a, a great guest. We are. This is quite a departure from what we've done in the past. Yeah. Uh, we have talked to medical doctors before, mm-hmm. but here is a doctor kind of pioneering a new field in, in addiction treatment and in the treatment of, of other disorders. Yeah, uh, anxiety, yeah. depression, uh, chronic pain, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, listeners, strap in. You're going to like this one, I think. When we return on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. We are fortunate to have as our guest this week, uh, Dr. Randy Melko. Uh, he is on the cutting edge of the pioneering treatment. For a, it's going to be of special interest to our uh, listeners 
with a personal connection to addiction. Uh, runs a ketamine clinic, as I understand, here in Nashville. Uh, Randy, Dr. Melko, welcome. Yeah, thank you so much, David and Nate. I really appreciate that. And um, I'm excited to be here and talk to you guys about this. Uh, yeah. It's an important topic to uh, myself and, and uh, I suspect the audience as well. Well, I, I'll tell you, my uh, awareness of uh, another option for addiction treatment, another tool in the toolbox, uh, was opened a few years ago when I read, I'm sure you hear this quite often, the Michael Pollan book, How to Change Your Mind. Uh, I had not thought about the value of, uh, I, I guess I came from an old school thing, uh, an, old, an old school of thought that said, if you're recovering from a drug addiction, then uh, no drugs can ever be involved. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, we'd love, uh, maybe a good place to start would be for our listeners to get to know a little bit of uh, your backstory, a little bit uh, about you as a person. How did you happen into this field? Is this the field of medicine that you always envisioned yourself working in? How did you get where you are? Yeah, exactly. And I, I appreciate what you're saying initially there about, uh, uh, you know, trying to avoid other other drugs to get help somebody uh you know with a, a drug addiction per se um there's a there's a famous book called genius on the edge and it talks about um, a surgeon by the name of halstead who worked mm. at johns hopkins and um he became addicted to cocaine oddly enough and this was in the 1890s and wow. johns hopkins in the inf in their infinite wisdom said well that, that's not that's not going to work and they sent him off to New England to get fixed. And New England decided to give him morphine to treat his cocaine addiction. And um, oh. in Halstead's defense, uh, he was doing research on himself, basically, with cocaine, a new local anesthetic the, that came out and trying to figure out how it might help his patients, his surgical patients. But anyway, he came back from New England addicted to not only cocaine, but also addicted to morphine. And so... <laughs> So I'm, I'm sensitive to that. I'm sensitive to that. We're using anesthetics to try to help people, and we certainly don't want to create another problem. Um, but it turns out that, that that concern is near zero. So, mm -hmm. so that's exciting. But to answer your question, um, yeah, I've been an anesthesiologist for 30-some years, and um, much of my practice was in the subspecialty of what's called regional anesthesia and acute pain management. So we would try to help patients before, during, and after surgery and trauma, uh, polytrauma of various sorts, um, to minimize their, their pain, not only their acute pain, but to also minimize their opioid load and to try to decrease what's called persistent postoperative pain, chronic pain from developing. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really where um, my experience with ketamine and, and a, a whole bunch of other tools to try to achieve those goals. Um, but ketamine was a, a big tool that we used and uh, where much of my experience uh, with ketamine was used. So there was some use in the operating room, but it was this perioperative use of ketamine. And then realizing that uh, ketamine may help patients come off opioids. Mm. And we had this opiate epidemic that um, coincided with my career, frankly. I can remember in the 19, 1990s when a pharmaceutical rep uh, 
presented some information in San Antonio where I worked and she said, oh yeah, we're going to start offering fentanyl patches for all, all our chronic pain patients. And I, I thought, oh no, please don't do that. And, oh, wow. and I just literally, um, like so many witnessed this, uh, the birth of the op- opioid epidemic, but you know, yeah, as an anesthesiologist, I wanted to have, um, some, some, um, way to give back to this epidemic and try to try to do my part in decreasing this, this never ending, um, situation of patients being prescribed opioids. And it turned out that ketamine was amazingly effective for that Mm. and decreasing, uh, some of that opioid craving. And so it only made sense that, uh, perhaps it's also effective for alcohol. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, Brandy, with respect to ketamine, can you um, tell us why? Um, because, I mean, most of us are listening, probably not coming from a medical uh, background where we could uh, process all the, uh, you know, the, the technical ins and outs of why ketamine does what it does. But in kind of our own <laughs> layman's language, so to speak, um, how does ketamine interfere with the uh, impulse to drink or to crave opioids or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, especially when these behaviors are so entrenched for, you know, years and years, uh, many yeah. times? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, ketamine is an, a very unusual anesthetic, first of all. And, mm-hmm. and I think everybody has that sense. That, and I tell patients that all the time. This is not just a, a Valium or a sedative or a relaxing medicine. It does things that no other medication does. It's inc- extraordinary, extraordinary. And um, when you start talking about the mechanism of ketamine, it's so multifaceted mm-hmm. that it's hard to answer in a, in a, in a brief way. But um, I will say, first of all, ketamine is a, is a strong antidepressant. And mm. so many of patients that have alcohol use disorder, alcohol dependence, unhealthy mm-hmm. drinking, mm-hmm. Um, are frankly self-medicating uh, mm-hmm. at home in, in, in a way that they, they maybe it's the only way they know how um, mm-hmm. because they're, they're, they're feeling down. They have a mood disorder. They're anxious mm-hmm. and they're trying to get some relief. And mm-hmm. so ketamine just happens to be very effective for depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I would say that's certainly one mechanism that if we can help them with their mood disorder, maybe they'll have less tendency and less need to, to drink. Right. Um, and as I mentioned before, uh, ketamine we found was very helpful for opioid craving and opioid dependence. And 80% of our patients are off opioids within a week. It wow. Was a, wow. It was, I mean, even on high dose opioids that they've been taking for years. So we, we realized that there's something to that. And, uh, when you look at the mechanism of ketamine, it, it, it is complicated. There's PhD researchers out there that spend their whole careers looking at these mechanisms, but it, it has to do with, first of all, what's called the NMDA receptor. It's an antagonist to that receptor through the glutamate amino acid, which is an excitatory amino acid. Ultimately it increases, uh, what's called brain derived neural factor. Mm. And that uh, factor increases what we call neurogenesis, 
uh, improves neuroplasticity. And, and really, and so one of the things that uh, patients with alcohol use disorder have is this impaired neurogenesis. So um, you wonder where this brain fog comes from and lack of concentration, decreased memory. And part of it is the brain just isn't healing itself very well. It's mm. not those neural connections aren't there that should be there. And we see that with depression and chronic pain and, and opioid dependence as well. So ketamine, in, in, in a, an incredibly simplistic way, is um, almost like putting fertilizer on the brain. It's going to help that uh, those neural connections to form both in quantity and quality through increasing that brain-derived neural factor. Mm. Um, yeah. And again, what happens inside the cell with glutamate, I mean, ultimately increasing this BDNF, is probably a, a sequence of 12 or 14 steps, but ultimately increasing neurogenesis. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That, so that, in, this, in this ritualized behavior or this ritualized thinking that I've developed as an addict, where I'm now, I'm, I'm stuck in a rut, where I am doing the same thing over and over, and I don't seem to have the creative options to think differently or act differently. I... Um, ketamine is ketamine helping my brain to form entirely new neural pathways uh, it's creating new uh, neurons and is it jolting me out of that rut if we can use that language yeah yeah I think that's a that's a good way to put it we talk about a reset mm -hmm. Resetting yeah. things and um, you know what I tell my patients is that uh, we're not going to fix it with a drug and, and it's yeah. not it's not quite that simple. We're not going to just reset things and you're going to be good to go tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So this is a process and uh, we can talk about our protocol some at some point. But mm -hmm. through a series of these infusions over a few weeks and each infusion, if you will, builds on the previous infusion and helping that neurogenesis, helping that reset occur. Mm -hmm. We also um, talk about a wellness plan and wellness is so important. Mm -hmm. So it, it's part and parcel with what we're doing. And I, and I try to underscore that with patients that you're going to feel better. Your mood's going to be improved. You're going to be less anxious. You're going to have less opi uh, opioid or alcohol craving in this case. Um, and now the hard part starts. And mm -hmm. we, we talk about the, we call it life work. Yeah. And so these things don't happen overnight. It, these things um, that we're all familiar with, right? Mm -hmm. It's, diet and exercise and, and engaging in meaningful activities and improving our social support system, um, reconnecting with friends and family. Right. Uh, because we, we isolate ourselves when we're not feeling good. Yeah. We don't necessarily want to talk to anybody. Right. So we talk about all those things as healing and in terms of health and wellness, they're critical. And, mm -hmm. and we really want um, a long-term improvement, not just, Hey, I feel better this week or next week, but we right. want to see improvements for months and years down the road. And we want to, we want to see transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Randy, that, um, I mean, that uh, there's a whole uh, host of, uh, questions and things I'd love to, uh, just dump out here. But, um, one is I think people have a misconception about ketamine um, and how it's administered or how, you know, if you, if you mention it to the average client, 
that I would have. They are either confusing it with psilocybin and psychedelics and those experiences. Um, they're uh, believing that you're going to send me home with ketamine, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that whole street stigma kind of thing. For and sure. then there's the part where, um, you know, is it really an infusion like an IV um, as opposed to the S-ketamine that's, I, in my understanding, the, the nasal spray and the mm -hmm. differences in, in those those protocols and what's more effective? I know I'm dumping a lot out there, but, but yeah. people, um, you know, when I started out seven years ago seeing clients, the understanding we were told initially is you've got to get the addiction under control so they can control the mental health so that they can mm -hmm. address the mental health. And now we are really, the, the understanding is completely flipped. You know, we've mm -hmm. got to get the mental health issues there. So if I'm understanding you correctly, it, ketamine kind of gives you the bandwidth to come yeah. back and have the most effective experiences with people who maybe do what I do or uh, some some type of therapy or whatever that would look like. Um, they, they'll have more of the bandwidth to do that because with anxiety and depression being so acute, nobody is going to go um, and stay in that state of uh, really uh, is extreme anxiety, uh, you know, to the point of panic and so forth without, uh, medicating themselves, you know, yeah. at some point, uh, just like your chronic pain patients, you know, they're, they're only going to uh, pain wins or something, you know, mm -hmm. at some mm -hmm. point. So, um, I, I, I've dumped out a lot of stuff, but can you help us with the, the misconceptions and how you all do the, uh, mm -hmm. administering of ketamine and, and, and for sure, I'm excited that you all have such a, uh, um, a life plan that's a part of the end game here. Yeah. And it's not, you know, just, you know, here are your infusions, go and sin no more kind of. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you bring up a lot of good points and we are, um, uh, you know, battling this, this sense out there that it's, it's the wild west out there with, with ketamine and psilocybin mm -hmm. and psychedelics. <clears throat> right. So right. we certainly want to separate ourselves from, much of that, that, that we okay. are a, a medical practice. This is a medical profession, um, mm -hmm. that you're, um, being prescribed medications that we believe are effective, that it's not for your, um, entertainment or for just to get high or, um, that this, that we have a, a, a purpose and a goal. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly looking at those goals and are we reaching those goals with the therapy that we're introducing? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and as you've mentioned that, that we have a comprehensive approach that mm -hmm. we're not just going to throw a medication at you and send you out the door. Um, you know, our intake, if you will, our consultation process is at, hour and a half, two hours. And we spend a long time mm -hmm. just getting to know that individual. Wow. Um, and because it's, you know, life's complicated. Patients have complicated stories and histories and medical backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure we understand that. So um, it's not just, um, let me hook you up today and let, send you out the door. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we very much um, pride ourselves on a comprehensive, holistic approach. And and I will say, too, that, again, as an anesthesiologist, um, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. We very much need the team approach. Mm -hmm. right? And so I, I tell patients right up front that disclaimer that um, I will do what I can as 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 a doctor that's involved in your care. But 
um, mental health specialists, um, counselors, therapists are going to be critical to, to help as well, of course. Mm. Yeah. So it's a team. It's a team approach. It's always been a team approach. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, go ahead. You, you mentioned some different routes of administration. Yeah, I, I wanted to I wanted to hear about that because I think there's some, you know, I know that there are some clinics that just use the um, uh, the nasal spray, if I'm mm-hmm. right. And yeah. um, why uh, infusions maybe are more effective or is it who can and cannot administer ketamine that way? Um, are there yeah. certain licensures or protocols that are keeping, you know, one group from being able to do that or FDA, I don't know. I'm just throwing out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, for sure. And, and like I said, it's the wild west out there. You're going to, you're going to find a wide range of, you know, options and providers that provide these services. Um, Mm -hmm. and some are more experienced and trained than others. Mm -hmm. I'll just say that. Mm -hmm. But, um, as far as I'm concerned, IV administration is the gold standard. Yeah. It allows you, um, complete control of the situation. You, you know exactly how many milligrams of, of various medications mm-hmm. patients are getting. You can treat side effects effectively with an IV. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do that immediately. Mm-hmm. So without that, um, you really lose a lot of that control, frankly. Mm-hmm. So when you take nasal administration, for example, about um, 30% of that drug is bioavailable. Oh. So um, and not to mention that you can only concentrate ketamine so much. So mm. you're talking about maybe 10 sprays, nasal sprays, and you start getting this high volume of nasal spray into someone's uh, nasal, nasal passageway in their sinuses, and, and then 30% is absorbed, perhaps. So mm-hmm. it's a big guessing game. How much is absorbed? How much is, um, is the patient actually um, experiencing? And then if they get mm-hmm. into problems with too little or too much, can I deal with that in an effective way? Um, So um, there are patients, and don't get me wrong, there are patients that can benefit from nasal ketamine. Mm -hmm. But um, I do believe that um, the IV administration is the gold standard. And and, um, uh, we could talk more about that if you wanted to, but um, I guess that's that's what I'll say at this point anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nate, were you about to ask a question? Because I I can fire away here for you know. No, keep going, 30, keep going, Dave. <laughs> Thirty minutes or something. Uh, but uh, when you uh, when you all have a consultation and a client comes in and you you're seeing this patient um, potentially, uh, what are some things that uh, qualify that person, and what would be some things that disqualify that person? Yeah, for sure, exactly. Well. Um, as I mentioned, it's a comprehensive uh, history and physical. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we go over everything. Um, why? What their chief complaint is, for example, is it? Are they here for depression, alcohol use disorder? Is it mm-hmm. other substances? Um, is it chronic pain? So we take um, a lengthy history on all of that, and then we also talk about their comorbidities. Of course, mm-hmm. um, do they have a history of heart disease, pulmonary disease? hepatic or renal uh, problems, uh, central nervous system problems, strokes, seizures, TIAs. Um, what are their medications and allergies and, you know, standard, you know, mm-hmm. medical workup, mm-hmm. but it's thorough and it's complete. We'll do a, a focused physical exam. Um, 
in the case of alcohol use disorder, we're, we're certainly looking for end stage uh, or uh, end organ issues, whether it's uh, hepatic problems, you know, liver problems, kidney problems, uh, cardiac, uh, cardiovascular problems, pulmonary problems. So we want to identify patients that we feel are good candidates. And I would say uh, probably uh, the majority are, are good candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, those that, that would not be good candidates would, would be more end-stage uh, patients that have, mm-hmm. had, that have uh, had either significant withdrawal in the past, uh, multiple detox, um, uh, alcohol detox situations, multiple hospitalizations, history of seizures in the past from withdrawal, or uh, delirium, confusion, mm-hmm. hallucinations. Um, what about or, cirrhosis? Yeah, that I yeah. would say that that's a contraindication for us. Mm-hmm. So uh, thankfully, those are uh, y- you know the, not the majority of patients. Right. Uh, right. So my guess is that eighty or ninety percent of patients could that have alcohol use disorder could benefit from this kind of therapy. Uh, but yeah, once you start getting into um, cirrhosis and portal portal hypertension and ascites, and uh, you're getting uh, it's pretty significant medical uh, derangements that can can alter what we do and increase the risk of what we're doing. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, we you know that's not it's not to say we don't take care of um, some sick patients. We've got mm-hmm. uh, patients that have pretty significant heart disease and other uh, medical issues going on, but it, those are case by case situations. And, uh, you know, safety is paramount. We want to make mm-hmm. sure we're, we're not doing any harm and that the, the benefits outweigh the risks of what we're doing. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, yeah. Randy, do you know whether ketamine is being used uh, in the treatment of PTSD? Yeah, absolutely. And w- quite a few of our patients uh, come to us with PTSD. Really, okay. uh, it's it's quite effective um, in terms of efficacy, and, and and these numbers are from our clinic. They're not. A, it's not a study somewhere else at, at Johns Hopkins or Mayo Clinic. Um, we see about a fifty five percent decrease in those assessment scores, whether it's the assessment scores for depression, anxiety, or PTSD. PTSD. Uh, those scores drop about fifty five percent at the one month mark. Um, 75% of our patients respond in a significant way to our treatment. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and, and that, yeah. And so those numbers are pretty consistent regardless of what we're talking about depression, anxiety, or PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've had people tell me that they have, they just, uh, in, in some cases have not felt this good since they were in high school or something emotionally, you know? Yes. Yes. It can really be transformative. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's exciting about this, this, this therapy option is that it can treat quite a few different uh, disorders very quickly and very effectively. Um, and, and that, that's exciting for us. It's exciting for the patients to have that kind of hope again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we were talking about the mechanism a little bit and, and, mm-hmm. Um, there's the part of that is, uh, just giving the patient some hope Yeah, that, yeah. that this is not a dead end road for them, right. that, uh, that they don't have to live with this for the rest of their life. 
Yeah. And uh, so many of them have lost hope. And it's 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 encouraging to be able to come alongside them and walk this journey with them um, and get to know them very well and support them in a very unique way. Um, ketamine is also a spiritual experience. So um, many of these patients, um, you know, they're, they're mad at God. They, uh, they, don't, uh, they don't have that purpose in their life anymore. Why am I here? Why do I exist? You know, and they just feel this, this sense of lack of transcendence. And um, again, when you talk about the unique properties of ketamine, and that's, that, I would say that's one of them, that, mm-hmm. that they will be re-energized a little uh, to some extent with their spirituality. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exciting when they have a sense of purpose, belonging, and some of that makes more sense to them. Yeah. And they yeah. get excited about getting up every day. Right, right. Yeah. My one experience with ketamine was in an emergency room. Uh, I had a hernia and went in, a lot of pain, and the, you know, the doctor diagnosed it and said, you know, we're going to push this thing back in. We're going to administer ketamine. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I, I went on this just fabulous uh, psychedelic roller coaster ride. There it was for a few minutes. And, and then I said, uh, when are you going to do it? And he said, it's done. Uh, and then I, uh, I remember walking out of the emergency room going, that hernia was totally worth it. Uh, this, I, <laughs> yeah. I feel great. Yeah. There you go. Right. I mean, thank God for anesthetics, right? I, I can remember that <laughs> I had uh, Versed and fentanyl for a procedure and I laid in the recovery room looking out the window and somebody, you know, if someone said, you, you know, you're going to have to stay here for a couple of years looking out this window, I would have said that is perfectly fine. Uh, <laughs> just leave me here. So I'm, I'm grateful that uh, people have gone before us and identified these medicines that can help us in times of need. Well, uh, yeah. that that brings me to the question, though, of what because uh, people will ask this: What is the actual experience uh, like for the patient? Mm-hmm. What is the infusion uh, experience, mm-hmm. and how long does it take, and how how yeah. often, and so on? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, once we get through that consultation process, and and of course we do screening, different screening assessments for mood disorders, but also for alcohol intake. So mm-hmm. we do what's called that audit audit uh, assessment. Just gives us a sense of of unhealthy drinking. Try to identify those patients. We do um, something called a, a pause or a PAWSS mm-hmm. assessment that just tries to identify patients that are at high risk for alcohol withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we talk about what the ketamine experience looks like. And, and um, typically that's going to be uh, six infusions, six one-hour infusions spread over three weeks. So two per week, mm-hmm. usually, uh, you know, spread out by a day or so. So Monday, Wednesday or Tuesday, Thursday. Um, uh, typically we, we hold solid foods for a period of time, six hours or so, just as a standard precaution like mm-hmm. we do with, with surgery just because we're giving various anesthetics. Um, and, um, and then they have to have a driver take them home. Mm-hmm. So uh, we may do some preliminary testing before we get started, a urine drug screen, just to give us a sense of um, what, uh, what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, pregnancy tests, for example, some, some, some point of care mm-hmm. testing that we might look at. Um, we will 
check uh, for withdrawal. So using a CWA um, standard withdrawal scales and mm-hmm. do that on a daily basis when they're when they're with us. But the actual experience will get them situated in a comfortable uh, environment, private uh, private room. Um, music is powerful, so we want to make sure we we dial in the the right music and and there's no right answer there so some mm-hmm. people like instrumental and spa music and we've had i can remember an 85 year old woman that would come regularly and see us and she would blast uh you know her favorite her favorite genre that was kind of rock and roll <laughs> music and she just uh that was uh she just felt that was an important part of her life but uh, there's no right answer and it's whatever puts a smile on somebody's face and it mm-hmm. puts, gets them in a in their safe safe spot their safe mm-hmm. zone where they feel comfortable. Um, so, you know, in terms of our target, we, we talk about some dis- disassociation is the term that's used with ketamine that, that um, um, they're going to feel this psychedelic experience to a certain extent. Now mm-hmm. we, we target a certain level of disassociation. We never want that to get uh, dark or troubling or disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be a positive experience or at worst neutral. Mm-hmm. If it ever does get uh, dark or troubling, um, we will nip that in the bud with some extra sedation. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 again, that's where the IV is is critically important. Yeah. Um, and uh, the patients are monitored continuously. Uh, we don't, you know, put them in a dark room and close the door and say <laughs> we'll, be back, we'll be back in an hour. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we have continuous. Uh, not only vital signs monitoring, but nursing monitoring. And mm. so um, we, you know, we're, we're right there for them every step of the way. Um, and we can adjust the medication if it's, if it seems too much, we can back down on the, on the IV administration. Mm. Again, that's different than an intramuscular injection where you yeah. get the whole drug and I can't take it back once I give it. Right. And then it's hard, it's hard to give more. Yeah. Uh, with IV, I can titrate that effect so mm. I can, increase or decrease the amount of ketamine they're getting. Um, so, so yeah, we, we treat, uh, hypertension, for example, could come up in maybe 20% of patients. Well, Mm -hmm. we want to identify that. And and sometimes it can be quite significant. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. So we'll, we'll treat these side effects, maybe nausea Mm -hmm. in 5% of our patients. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, it should be, uh, to answer your question, it should be a pleasant experience. Um, we don't want the patient, you know, gripping the sides of the chair, the armrests, and, you know, and uh, yeah. as we yeah. blast them to the moon and back. Yeah, and yeah. They wait for it to be over. No, it should how, be a... How, a how under are they, so to speak? I mean, is it like uh, colonoscopy twilight or is it like, uh, I mean, you know... Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's there's a really a wide uh, variation in patients and in, in how they re, how they react to ketamine, and so mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. we we based our dosing not just on weight but also on age and what the indication is. For example, pain patients um, they have two or four hour infusions. Those patients require higher doses in general than mental health patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so with those higher dosages, they're, they're going to require more sedation just to tolerate those higher dosages. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but with this uh, mental health protocol and the, um, alcohol use disorder protocol, uh, those dosages are a little bit lighter. So we can 
we can use less sedation. So the patients are more awake, more uh, experiencing the ketamine a little bit more. Um, but again, it, it's, there's a lot of variability with that. Um, you know, I'm impressed even after using this drug for decades and administering it for decades, rather, um, I'm impressed at how much patient variability there is. Mm. Some might go, oh, really? we talk about this half milligram per kilo, that might be too much for one patient and, and it's way too little for another patient. And so mm. that's where we, it's hard to get fixated on a certain dose. And um, we, I tell patients all the time that this is a very dynamic process. Mm-hmm. We're not, we were looking at results and what's best for you. Um, and if it takes twice that or half that, it doesn't, it doesn't, the dose itself doesn't really matter. It's, are we, achieve, are we achieving the goals that we set out to, to achieve mm. and how can we get there? Yeah. Safely. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what kind of, um, diagnostic codes do you all have to use for insurance or does insurance ever, um, pay in on this kind of a, a procedure? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. We're, uh, strictly, uh, you know, fee for service. Uh, we don't accept insurance mm-hmm. now. That being said, um, uh, more I will say more and more insurance companies are reimbursing patients for their care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had a patient come come through a month or two ago. Uh, in fact, he had an alcohol use disorder. Uh, he said, "I really want to do this, but I want my insurance to cover it." And um, he said, "I'm going to I'm going to submit um, a pre authorization to the insurance company first. And so I, we gave him the diagnostic codes and the procedure codes. He, he submitted all the paperwork and very quickly, within a week or two, they came back. It was Blue Cross Blue Shield. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, we're going to cover the whole thing. Wow. And so they prepaid for six uh, for six infusions. Um, and he, by the way, had a great response to what mm-hmm. we were doing. So I'm encouraged. I think more and more insurance companies are going to come on board, see well, the value of this therapy. Yeah. Um, when you I weigh the cost of, um, of uh, rehab, for instance, and that the average person who does go to rehab probably goes three to five times, um, right. that's, uh, <laughs> I imagine they would uh, do well to consider you guys or any of this type of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, when you look at the, the potential benefit, the upside to the, the downside and the risks or, the, or the, the small costs involved compared to other therapies, especially, you know, whether we're talking about um, prolonged hospitalizations or inpatient care or uh, mm-hmm. rehab centers. Uh, yeah, it, this is a much, much better option and, and a very effective option. Mm-hmm. Is, can we talk a little bit more about the wellness program and follow up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, great. Um, so again, um, I will write up a, an extensive, comprehensive, personalized wellness plan for each patient. That it's not just a it's not just something I pull out of a drawer and, and give it to anybody. So we we target um, those major aspects of of wellness, and we've touched on a few of them already. Whether it's diet and exercise, um, mm-hmm. drugs and drugs that they might be taking, medications that they might be taking, uh, whether it's benzodiazepines, for example, or sleep aids if they're on Ambien and mm. uh, um, we talk about their labs and though 
a wide arrangement of labs. And we talk about some of those derangements and how we can make, for example, we look at vitamin D and, um, which is uh, such a common disorder and, and it's easy to treat, but it's associated with uh, opioid and probably alcohol craving and, mm-hmm. um, and depression. And so we want to identify these things. And so, uh, but certainly meaningful activities is a big one um, where are you engaged in life? Are you, ex- are you excited to get up every day and, and do the things you do that, that you were created for a reason, for a mm-hmm. purpose? And, and um, what is your purpose and, and what gets you excited? It may be a mom of, of, you know, and just taking care of your children. And that's mm-hmm. wonderful. And it's probably the highest calling there is. Um, mm-hmm. But we all need a reason to get out of bed. And, yeah. and so it, it's not eight hours of, of television or, you know, uh, screen time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about that. We talk about, like I said, the, the social aspect that's so important. And um, if we are lonely and we're, we've isolated ourselves, how can we reconnect? So we talk about that a little bit, um, whether it's groups and neighborhood groups or, or the rec center or, but I, I will give them very specific ideas um, on how to reconnect and re-engage. We talk about volunteering, frankly, because um, boy, you know, it, it's one of those ironies of life that when you give to, as a service, when you, when you help other people, mm-hmm. um, we ourselves are, we ourselves are helped. And, mm-hmm. and that's not why we help others, but it just, it's one of those blessings that when we bless others, we're blessed. Mm-hmm. And, and I think anybody that's gone on a short-term mission trip to Honduras or uh, Nicaragua, mm-hmm. anywhere, they come back and they're refreshed. They're mm-hmm. like, well, that was hard work, but oh my goodness, I feel so much better about myself mm-hmm. just because we help somebody. So we talk about volunteering and I'll send them to a, a volunteer org, you know, website and ways that they can find volunteer options. So anyway, it's probably a 10 page document. Um, and I don't mean to, you know, overwhelm people, but I do want to equip them with a personalized plan that, that, you know, how to meditate, how to, how to think positively. How can I be thankful for what I have? Is the glass mm-hmm. half full or half empty? And mm-hmm. how can I, dwell on that and think about the positive things in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we talk about that when I'm, if I get stuck in a grocery line and I, you know, I get frustrated and impatient, how can I turn that into a positive thing? Well, Malco gave me some ideas to think about, and maybe I'll just think about those things. And, um, and, and I think that's powerful. It may be, it may just be a few phrases, a few proverbs, a few this, and, mm-hmm. and what, if they start taking, I mean, this is a five minute opportunity to refresh myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so many of those things too uh, align with what some people will have uh, related to their 12 step experiences, you know, sure. mm-hmm. uh, as far as gratitude and um, service you know, as a 12 step and, um, you know, yeah. actions and uh, taking care of others and, and all of that. I was going to ask you too, um, is there any uh, research that you know of where other uh, what we call process addictions like, um, you know, compulsive sexual acting out or uh, eating uh, disorders or, uh, you know, some of these other gambling, for instance, you know, some of these other uh, compulsive issues, impulse driven kind of behaviors. Are they helped by any of this? Do we know? 
Um, I, I can't say I know of specific uh, studies out there for ketamine and those those uh, entities you you just mentioned. But um, like the we've talked about the opioid craving and decreasing that and in a dramatic way, the mm-hmm. success we've seen with the opioids is 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 remarkable. Um, I do believe it's going to be very similar with the alcohol and the patients we've taken care of. We've seen that kind of success already. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like with naltrexone, for example, we, you know, we thought, well, naltrexone seems to decrease not just opioid craving, but it also decreases alcohol craving. Um, and our, there's studies out there that are showing that naltrexone can be helpful for decreasing food craving. Mm-hmm. So I think we're finding some, some crossover with these different therapies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if ketamine's right there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well, that's of special interest to me. Go ahead there, no, David. I just, I was just saying, this is, uh, this is so fascinating and, um, and, and hopeful uh, for me because I also believe that uh, recovery is a multi-pronged approach. You know, I think mm-hmm. we have to have medical um, assessment and, and eliminate some, uh, some, some medical issues that could be treated that, uh, that just coming in and seeing someone like myself isn't going to address you know, if, if there's, if there's a a certain, you know, co-occurring issue, then we've got to address the mental health so that the addiction can, um, have an opportunity to be addressed in another way, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like you said, having the bandwidth to do that. But I'm excited that there is a potential, um, area in our community that we can direct people. You're are one of the first in Tennessee to treat alcohol use disorder. Is that right? Um, I believe that we're, we're pioneering this. Uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't have a, a good study or survey to, to, to uh, say what other clinics are doing or not doing. So, mm-hmm. um, but my sense is yes, that we're, mm-hmm. we're leading, the, we're leading the way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's very very hopeful. <laughs> yeah, we're excited. We're excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we will put, of course, the the, the uh, links to your practice in the show notes. But just so that we have it here on record, uh, how if our listeners want to get in touch with your practice, what's the best way for them to do it? Yeah, uh, it's Tennessee Ketamine and Wellness in Cool Springs. If you put that in any any. Uh, 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 website uh, search uh, Google search you mm-hmm. it'll come up Tennessee ketamine and wellness we're on Mallory 1909 Mallory um, oh. in, in cool Springs um, so right. very uh, right right across from the Galleria so yeah and family can go shop <laughs> yeah. for those listeners with a shopping addiction this is very <laughs> Well, Randy, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. Yeah, absolutely. This is a a whole new field of inquiry. It opens all kinds of possibilities. Very exciting. Uh, This is the first of what I hope will be many conversations. And I hope we get to uh, check in with you in another year or two and see how it's going. Yeah, absolutely, David, Nate. um, I really enjoyed my time with you, too. And and I just really want to thank you, sincerely thank you for taking the time, taking the interest to see what we're doing and uh, in this novel approach, this innovative approach um, that we're excited about. So I really appreciate you sharing it with uh, with your audience. Absolutely. Very, very happy to do that. So, yeah. All right, listeners, stay right. with us. We'll be back in just a moment on All the right. Positive Sobriety. 
Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I could have talked, uh, as probably you could have picked up, Nate, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to yeah, yeah. Andy for a, uh, another hour, probably. We spent an hour on the phone uh, before we uh, actually got to, uh, you know, get on the podcast. I mean, earlier mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, because he wanted to know a little bit about um, how we wanted to talk about what they did because yeah. they're very careful at uh, Tennessee Ketamine Wellness about how they present what they do. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because I, from the, even like, you know, lack of a better term, marketing, because mm-hmm. they don't want to come off as the um, the one-stop shop or, you know, come in and right. lose, you know, 30 pounds for nine ninety nine and, you know, <laughs> that kind of um, right, yeah, sure, right. you know, kind of thing where they have a shtick, so to speak, because mm-hmm. they realize they're kind of uh, rubbing up against some traditional ideas and uh, some stigma, mm-hmm. and some, you know, actually misunderstandings about what uh, all of that might be to have this experience, yeah, yeah. this protocol. So anyway, we had a great conversation, even just that um, hour uh, a couple of weeks ago, just uh, hearing their their concern to uh, really uh, quality medical care uh, yeah area that is a really, uh, you know, uh, for alcohol use disorder is pretty new. So I, mm-hmm. I can't say how encouraged I am. I've referred a number of people that see me to them just to be assessed and see if this mm-hmm. is a fit because, um, gosh, you know, if you can have the opportunity to, uh, to have the bandwidth emotionally and psychologically, c- cognitively to, yes. uh, to really approach your recovery uh, wholeheartedly, you know, yes uninterrupted by all these other, you know, uh, anxiety and depression and so on, um, trauma, all of the things that interrupt us and derail us. Mm-hmm. Um, why wouldn't we try to experience yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So, but. Well, uh, it's going to be very interesting. I love that he's right in our backyard. Oh, yeah. uh, and we're gonna, you're going to have an ongoing relationship with Randy uh, mm-hmm. uh, and you're going to be able to watch the progress of your own clients mm-hmm. uh, that are under treatment of that protocol. Right. Uh, I'm looking forward to con- just tracking, uh, continuing conversation to see where this goes. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up. Thank you for bringing up process addictions uh, at the end of the conversation. <laughs> oh, I didn't want I didn't want that to get lost because I thought, you know, doggone it. Uh, you know, we, we do end up spending a lot of time in the in the chemistry of uh, uh, yeah. some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, we got to we got to address everybody, you know. And, and I do think he's right. I do think there's overlap. Mm-hmm. There I, definitely yeah. Is overlap. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, good conversation. Great show. Great seeing you, David. Uh, likewise. Uh, and we, we've got more. I mean, I'm traveling for a while, but we've, we've got other guests coming up. We've got good shows uh, yeah. on the horizon. Uh, yeah. That's it for this one, though. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pal <laughs> on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe by <laughs> Kathy Gifford. 